everyone, and welcome to Cisco Champions Radio Pandemic Edition, because all of them are these days. Uh, I'm Lauren Friedman-Albert, also known on the Twitters as Lauren, and today we're going to be talking about Wi-Fi 6E and Wi-Fi 6 and 6 gigahertz and other fun stuff, and we have some awesome guests on today. So Matt, why don't you kick us off? Who are you? What do you do? So my name is Matt McPherson. I'm the CTO of Wireless over at Cisco Systems, uh, reporting into the enterprise business unit, but uh, also very much active on the service provider side of the house because as we start to go into these next generation technologies, of course, we have interest from enterprise and service provider. So I'll be uh, representing it from a CTO perspective today. Fantastic. Mary, how about you? I'm Mary Brown, and I work in Cisco Government Affairs, uh, responsible for spectrum policy, both in the U.S. and globally. And you can follow me at Twitter at at Mary Brown in D.C. I like it. It's very specific. (laughs) I'll assume you're there now. Fantastic. Sam, who are you? What do you do? Hi, Lauren. Thanks. My name is Sam Clements. Uh, I work out of the office of the CTO at Presidio, a large bar here in the States. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Samuel underscore Clements, and I blog over at sc-wifi.com. Fantastic. Shy, last and least, my dear friend. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, Shy Silverman, I'm the director of network services for San Jose State uh, University. My Twitter handle is uh, Shydom, S-H-A-I-D-O-M. Fantastic. All right, Matt, why don't you kick us off? What are we talking about today? What's new? What's exciting? Sure, I'll kick off. And, and by the way, I, I neglected to give my Twitter handle. So it's MacPherson7. That's the uh, Scottish version of MacPherson. So it's M-A-C. And uh, you can reach me there. So I'm excited. I'm excited to be talking about Wi-Fi 6E. And so some people might say, well, what's 6E? Didn't we just come out with 6? Well, what we're talking about here is is Wi-Fi 6 as a protocol running in six gigahertz. And I think everybody has probably seen in the news um, or in a blog or written up someplace that Chairman Pi has released this huge chunk of new spectrum that we can use for unlicensed, and that's 1200 megahertz uh, in the six gigahertz space. You know, as as we look at what's going on in Wi-Fi, as we look at what's going on in the industry, we just see this phenomenal growth. In, we're really to the point where wireless is what we use first. You know, it's interesting. Yes. We're we're all on the this call right now, and and um, you know, I'm connected to wireless. I'd be willing to bet that everybody else is connected to wireless. We don't typically look for a wire first anymore. Wherever we are, whether we're in the home office, which is pretty typical these days with all the things going on, um, we're going on to wireless. And so in order to do that, we have to make sure that wireless is reliable, it's scalable, and it's secure. And we need to make sure that it's able to give those types of characteristics wherever we are. In fact, you know, it's interesting. I like to always mention a couple of stats as we get these things kicked off. Do you know that uh, in really just a couple of years 2023 we'll be we'll have over 600 million wi-fi access networks so i mean there's a i mean look everybody's now um we're we're somewhere just shy of about 400 million okay so just in a couple of years we'll add a couple hundred million more 
billions of devices, 14 billion devices going onto the network every year. So do we want to make this work well? We do. Is it worth the extra spectrum? It is. Are the new protocols important? They are. So uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah! Yay! All right! <laughs> I like it. So, so, so new spectrum, all right, so that's what you're talking about, right, at 6 gigahertz. And so today we are in, most Wi-Fi is in 2.4 and in 5 gigahertz. What's so big about 6 gigahertz? Why, why, why do we need it from a, from a spectral perspective? Well, let, so me, ta- let me take yeah, that ahead, one. We, um, we started off back in way back. We'll put and go in the way back machine. 2006 was when we last got a significant tranche of spectrum delivered to the industry. And if you go way back then, we were at 20 megahertz wide channels. And then we were at 40 megahertz wide channels. And that worked pretty well through most of the early 2000s. Um, but when we started to get to Wi-Fi 5 and now Wi-Fi 6, with the technological advancements we have and the ability to use wide channels where those are, uh, are beneficial, the chopped up pieces of spectrum that we had at 2.4 and in the 5 gigahertz band just weren't going to be enough. Industry made a run at trying to get more spectrum in the 5 gigahertz band, but unfortunately the spectrum that uh, was there and is there, uh, the, the part we could not access, was used by the military for pretty sensitive uh, Department of Defense applications. And so we were told, no, we couldn't share that band with them. And it was. I hate sharing with the military, yeah. anyway. So <laughs> it's a tough problem. So yeah, so we looked. So we looked up. We looked up, and there was six. Uh, and so uh, several years ago, we started working on could we share with the incumbents that are in the six gigahertz band. And I understand we're now uh, going from about four hundred megahertz of available bandwidth to 12,000 megahertz of spectrum? <laughs> 1,200 megahertz of spectrum, but that's still sorry. a yes. huge <laughs> amount huge. of spectrum. We've, we've, we've more than tripled our supply of spectrum with this FCC decision. Well, that's great. I know that one of the challenges we have, even in five gigahertz, is people want faster and faster networks. Usually that means wider and wider channels. And I think that what we see, the problem that we see today is clients not supporting all of that spectrum, at least not evenly. And so, so what you're saying is this, this gives us a chance to start over. Whereas as we look sort of all the way back to Antitude 11A and N and AC and all those five gigahertz technologies, there wasn't an even support of five gigahertz across the client type. So you would get some clients that supported some five gigahertz and some clients that supported others. And it made the it made those people wanting really, really fast networks, made them sometimes impossible to do because the clients didn't support all the channels. And so, so you're saying this ultimately helps alleviate that. Yes, that's what it will do. It will ensure that there's a new broad swath of spectrum for access points and for client devices that can operate throughout the band for indoor networking and also uh, with some mitigations for outdoor networking as well. Yeah, you, so know, you know, we've talked about in the past as well, you know, this ability to not only use the spectrum, but um, what Wi-Fi 6 actually means when we go into the spectrum. 
if you look at in the in the past, if if you know we've had all these previous protocols, Wi-Fi has always done a really great job of being backward compatible. So you could use these old devices, you could use these new devices. But Mary, as we go into uh, six gigahertz, right? It also requires Wi-Fi six. So what that means is that you're going to get this great experience because of all this additional spectrum. But you're also going to make sure that every device that connects there is going to use the latest protocol. So what does that mean? That is absolutely fantastic. I think that's the most one of the most exciting things about opening up this new spectrum is the latest and best technology is going to be there. And we don't have to deal with legacy uh, Wi-Fi protocols uh, or or the horrors of the 2.4 band where we actually have overlapping channels, right? Uh, so we have this great pristine spectrum. We have great new technology to put there. And I think that's, uh, that's what will ultimately uh, be the hallmark for this band. So, so I guess like for our listeners, uh, can we talk a little bit, what, uh, what can we do with a six gigahertz that we could not do with a five gigahertz? Well, you know, it's interesting that you asked that because you know, if you look in the past, what do you do um, in 5 gigahertz and in 2.4 to really get more throughput on the network? And the answer is you do densification. So what you do is you start putting in more and more APs so that you can carry more traffic. Now, as these APs, as you start to increase that density, these APs, they, they're closer to each other. And that's really where radio resource management starts to come into play. Because now these APs, what they're doing is they're trying to separate themselves to use different pieces of the spectrum so they're not stomping all over each other. And that way, the devices that are talking to one AP can talk at the same time while devices are connecting to another AP. And so what we do so is... Have this image of different APs on the roof with like little knives out trying to fight each other. Well, exactly. a, a little a little bit, and, and especially with this new open office environment, and as you get into stadiums and all these APs, there's no walls in between. They can actually see each other. They can actually interfere with each other, and that's why we put them in different spectrum ranges so that we can avoid that. So now what you start doing is you start cutting up the spectrum, and you start running different pieces of the spectrum in different APs, and in order to get that separation, what happens is that you have to go into smaller and smaller chunks and so if you only had one AP in AC, you might be using 80 megahertz. But if you have a lot of APs, you might have to break it down all the way to 20, which means your maximum speed per unit is actually much lower. And then now, 6 gigahertz. Now, 1,200 megahertz of new spectrum. So now what we can do is even as we put those APs in very densely, we can still use 40, 80, 160 channel width so that we can get this incredible throughput without interfering with each other. And that's really powerful. Well, so I can do the math. I know that there's a thousand megahertz and a gigahertz, but we've got six gigahertz and 1200 megahertz. Where does the rest of the spectrum go? <laughs> we start at 5925 megahertz and we end ah. at 7125 megahertz. And the reason for that has to do with who's sitting at the edges of this band. So just below us is uh, Intelligent Transportation Services, which is a, a sort of a private commons, if you will, for the transportation industry. And up above us are government services. And so this spectrum um, had been used and is being used 
uh, by uh, microwave uh, facilities, both fixed microwave and mobile microwave, things like broadcasting trucks that go out and do mobile news, but it's all microwave. Um, and so, and so that is why the ban looks the way it does. And what we've been able to do is to demonstrate to the satisfaction of the regulators that we can come in as an underlay to that. We can transmit underneath that without interfering with those incumbent uses and, and in doing so have been able to get access to the entire band. So you're saying that six gigahertz is easier to, to say than, than upper five gigahertz, lower seven gigahertz. Yes. Yes, yeah, it was, is much easier. I was going to say we had twelve hundred because Mary did such a great <laughs> job lobbying in the FCC. But you know, I guess you could give the technical reasons. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the FCC um, is very vigilant on unlicensed technologies, including Wi-Fi. I mean, they well understood uh, as a result of of many years of Cisco studies that more than half the internet traffic begins or ends on a Wi-Fi network. They understood that 70 plus percent of traffic from our smartphones offloads to Wi-Fi, whether at home or at work. They knew the importance and understood the importance of this ecosystem. And they saw the growth curves, right? As Matt points out, these huge growth curves uh, going up and to the right. Um, so they didn't need a lot of convincing that we needed more spectrum. The question really was, could we um, could we peacefully coexist with the folks who are already in the band? Uh, and so that was really the the crux of what we were examining there. So, so, and that's so Mary, where with knives come out, right? <laughs> <laughs> peaceful peaceful coexistence, with not with knives. Yeah. Peaceful. So Mary, so I mean, so speaking of the ecosystem that uh, that you spoke about, uh, I understand six gigahertz is being used across cellular and Wi-Fi at this point. So what does that mean for the user experience? Yeah, the certainly the three um, uh, G P P uh, ecosystem is uh, standardizing a uh, new. They call it new radio. And they have an unlicensed version of new radio that they hope to put into the band. From a technology development perspective, I believe they are a little bit behind relative to where the Wi-Fi 6 community is with our technology. Um, but the, it's certainly true that the FCC rules are technology neutral so that if and when they are ready, and if and when they have customers for uh, new radio unlicensed, they would be able to enter the band. Um, user experience is going to be determined by where you are and what technology you're using. I would say the Wi-Fi uh, system is um, uh, a pretty giant ecosystem at this point globally. Uh, and that most uh, consumers and uh, enterprises would probably still see tremendous benefit in, uh, in uh, sort of optimizing their environments for Wi-Fi. And, and CBRS is also potentially will expand into the six gigahertz band, because right now I think they're very constricted on the amount of space they have. Well, actually, on, on that, you raise an interesting question. This is the Citizens Band Radio uh, effort at the U.S. Federal Communications Commission. 
which after seven or now eight years, I think, is, is just now getting underway, um, they're scheduled to have an auction of their priority access licenses starting next month in July of uh, 2020. Um, what's happening there is the government is looking not up, but down uh, into the three dot from, they're at 355 to 37, and the government is actually looking down at 345 to 355, or potentially even lower in the three gigahertz band. That's a set, that's a complicated question also, because again, there are government users there, can they coexist, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but that seems to be the trajectory to keep CBRS in the three gigahertz range. Yeah, and, and well, just to, I would just mention, by the way, that um, that's considered what, what we would call either lightly licensed as opposed to um, um, unlicensed. So then, I, so I've got a question. So you say that we've gone to the, or the FCC has given us Spectrum. Oh, dude, you just like roll up to the FCC's front door and knock and say, hand out, hey, we'd like some more Spectrum. <laughs> what, 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 what's the process for getting Spectrum? And what did, what did Cisco have to do with that? So great question. Um, it is a long and complicated dance. Um, national regulators globally control the use of radio frequency spectrum within their national boundaries. And uh, the way spectrum is regulated is all these countries go to a global treaty meeting once every three years and decide which bands should be used for what to try to harmonize the uses across, uh, across the globe. We don't always, don't always succeed, but mostly uses are harmonized. So uh, what you're doing is you're trying to, to find spectrum that would be uh, allocated for a mobile use because in the uh, in the case of unlicensed that is considered a mobile use um, and uh, and then you make a demonstration to a national regulator that you could use that spectrum uh, without harming any of the incumbents that are in the band and so that process actually started some three years ago uh, with the FCC uh, talking about uh, the potential for six gigahertz if they like what they hear and they start to agree with you and they think there's potential, then they put out what's called a notice of proposed rulemaking and they solicit comments from far and wide, uh, including incumbents, um, and try to determine what would be the technical rules of the road for the band. And in our case, that process um, kicked off in the fall of 2019 and completed in April of 2020. That's fairly fast for a resolution of technical rules. Um, and it's still going on, actually. There's another phase of the rulemaking looking at some different use cases that, that might be enabled in the band. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, they release a set of rules and declare the band to be open under certain technical conditions. And then at that point, um, those of us out in industry get to develop product and we have to march off to the FCC laboratory to get it certified and get our little FCC identification number. 
and then we're good to go from a, uh, a marketing and sales perspective. So you're saying Wi-Fi. And then what do they do about? Oh, go ahead. You're saying Wi-Fi is where technology and politics collide. Because that sounds really boring. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, although, although I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I would associate that just with with uh, with Wi-Fi. I mean, when when you look at spectrum in general, um, it can get pretty political, and uh, you can really, I think, divide all spectrum into a, a couple of categories. There's there's the license spectrum, and we're all familiar with that. That's what we use our cell phones on to make calls and is LTE or what we hear about 5G. There's unlicensed, which has traditionally been Wi-Fi is the dominant stack, although there's other things in there too. Some things you're familiar like Bluetooth. And then there's this this other range, which is called lightly licensed, or, or sometimes we refer to it as locally licensed, um, or sometimes shared spectrum. And just to kind of come back to your CBRS question, um, that's what we call shared. And that spectrum was really targeted specifically at LTE and 5G. And there's a lot of technical reasons for that. Um, one is that the SAS allocates it in 10 megahertz chunks, and it's dependent on carrier aggregation, which Wi-Fi doesn't really do. So in some of these cases, we'll see spectrum that's just for LTE or just for 5G, and then we'll see other spectrum that is really targeted more towards Wi-Fi, and then we'll see spectrum that is used for both. And you're correct in assuming in 6 gigahertz that um, we will go there with Wi-Fi 6, but we'll also see other stacks in there um, like 5G, for example. And so there's a lot of work that's going on in different standards bodies, um, whether that be um, IETF or, or IEEE or what's happening over at 3GPP, um, just to make sure that when we have these different stacks in 6 gigahertz that they play fair and they don't disrupt the communications that's happening from those um, different utilizations of the of the spectrum. And so where is the mind control stuff going to land? Is that going to be in 6 gigahertz, or is that like down in a different spectrum? The the mind control, okay. <laughs> yeah, the zombies. Uh, I mean, this is about controlling the zombies too, right? For the zombie apocalypse, Matt. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um so we we don't claim to do any mind control. <laughs> That's right. Just to be clear before we start any rumors, you know. <laughs> no, we um we're we're definitely working in that space um to make sure that these things work and they work well together. Although I I would tend to agree with what Mary has to say that the the uh, Wi-Fi 6 stack is pretty much ready to go, and it's ready to go into 6 gigahertz. So I, I do think that we're going to see a lot of the dominant use of 6 gigahertz with Wi-Fi first. So now, speaking of uh, like the application of it, uh, it's my understanding that uh, in their operations, uh, we could pretty much just uh, get the access points and, and hang them kind of like we do today. But on the outdoor, do we need to license uh, frequency or is outdoor wireless going to be just like it is today where you just buy the APs and hang them? It's going to be a little more complicated than just buying the APs and hanging them. And that's because out there in the six gigahertz band are a bunch of fixed microwave links. Uh, in fact, uh, the number of microwave links in the country is growing, not declining, which seems odd in light of our transition to 5G, but it's true. Um, they're going up. Um, 
the broadcasting uses tend to be flat, but there's still a lot of, of microwave uses in the band. So what we have to do for outdoor um, transmitters is those transmitters have to know where they are. Um, they have to be able to report into what's called an automated frequency uh, control database, essentially. Uh, and uh, that AFC is going to perform a calculation to say, okay, I know where you are and I know where all these links are from the FCC license records. So here are the available frequencies that you, unlicensed transmitter, can safely use while avoiding the licensees who are already here. So you're going to have to be informed by this database and you're going to have to uh, go to the database once a day, basically, to get an update to make sure that the frequencies you're using are safe for you to use. There's more now, complexities than yeah. There's is more complexities. Yeah, yeah. Wi-Fi Alliance is very. It's been very involved. But what we're going to see, I think, is is the database operators that have worked CBRS, TV white spaces. Those, those folks are very interested in becoming AFC database operators in the six gigahertz band. So I think we'll see a lot of carryover activity with those players. Could you please explain how the Wi-Fi Alliance comes into play and what work they're doing to ensure the spectrum is widely adopted? Because I think it's, it's kind of a little bit related to my previous question. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, they do a huge amount of work uh, talking to uh, the regulators and um, inviting regulators to come and speak to the Wi-Fi Alliance uh, meetings. The Wi-Fi Alliance is a huge organization. I think the last time I asked, they, they were over 800 members globally. So, um, so they represent industry writ large, but because they, are, they represent such a diverse group, they tend to move uh with deliberate speed in these matters right um and uh the good thing is is when you do get an answer from them it is a an answer that industry can support so they've been right in there in the regulatory fight they have been uh, very active in developing requirements for afcs they have engaged regulators not just in the us but in europe and and indeed been meeting with regulators all over the globe so they played an important role uh, in opening up the six gigahertz band as well. So that's that's good to know that the IEEE is obviously involved there. They're going to determine things that <clears throat> I think I'm probably concerned about, which is, okay, so we've got this new spectrum. How do we design our new networks to accommodate things like graceful roaming and good connectivity? And you know, there's a lot of spectrum there for us to play with. That doesn't mean that we just assume all clients can do everything everywhere. What what do you expect the real world practical upshot of of design uh, changes are going to look like in the next couple of years? Yeah, and I think that's a great question because the you know it's when we look at six E and what we were saying is that we're going to use Wi Fi six in six gigahertz spectrum. We're really addressing um, two issues, and and I would call that the reliability or the deterministic behavior of the wireless access. Um, and to do that, you really have to pay close attention to both. So with Wi-Fi 6, 
what we can do is we can schedule the error interface. And if we can schedule the error interface, then we get a much more deterministic result. And what I mean by that is that the delay characteristic improves, and it improves even when we connect a lot of devices, especially the, all these new IoT devices. So scale is very important. So connect a lot of devices and do so with predictable delay and predictable throughput. Now, the other thing that you have to do is you have to protect for interference. And if you have a lot of people in the spectrum, like what we have at 2.4 and 5, then a lot of different devices and APs and even rogue APs, so think of a mall where you see 30 SSIDs, they're all trying to use that RF. And if they're all using that RF at the same time, they can collide. And the way Wi-Fi works is it, it collides, it backs off, and it retries. And in fact, um, it can collide again, especially in a very busy network. So by doing this, by opening up 1200 megahertz in six gigahertz, what that means is that we're much, much less likely to collide. So from a scheduling standpoint, Wi-Fi 6, make sure that you don't collide because it schedules the different resources. It schedules when different devices are talking on the network. And then from a spectrum standpoint, the APs can be much more intelligent about picking spectrum that's lightly used so that you don't collide. All of this means that you're going to get a much better result. You're going to get better throughput. You're going to get better delay characteristics. And, and I really think it opens up some new business cases and even verticals for uh, Wi-Fi applicability. So, uh, kind of, I keep thinking now going uh, a little bit toward the security uh, angle with Wi-Fi 6. Uh, kind of like you said at the beginning of the podcast, Matt, uh, at least on a college campus, the, uh, the Wi-Fi is the network. Uh, it, it, and not only is it about people, we'll also see more and more of the critical infrastructure like securities and campus operations and IoT, digital transformation, all now wanting to use the wireless network on campus. So what security enhancements have we done with uh, Wi-Fi 6 and 6E more specifically? Yeah, so, so you know, when people talk security, they, they talk about a couple of different things. Um, security can mean how do you onboard into the network and how are you using credentials. Um, and we're addressing a lot of that both backward and forward in, in our stacks with a technology called open roaming, which is based on Passpoint. The other type of security is how do you encrypt the air interface or the communications itself. And in, in that case, you know, we've come up through the ranks, we've, we've got... WPA2, and now we've got WPA3. The good news with um, Wi-Fi 6E is, is that there's a requirement for WPA3. So we're using the latest secure Yay. technology <laughs> so that that communication is kept secure, right? And I think that that's very important because, you know, as soon as you secure something, then there's a segment of uh, folks out there that are going to try to break it. And so that to stay one step ahead, I think, is, is important um, to all of us. And then I think there's a higher order of security that also comes into play here, and that has to do with segmentation, being able to subdivide the network. And what I mean by that is, is that you have different uses. So your guest network would typically be separate from your operational network. Um, if you take, for example, a uh, let's take a university. Um, the professors might be using one segment, the students might be using another, classrooms might be using another, the administration might be using another, certain IoT for operating the campus, whether that be lights or other types of services, that could be on another segment. And this segmentation means that 
um, you can really put up almost a firewall between every segment so that um, so that an issue in one doesn't cause an issue in another. And that's very important. And again, because we can schedule in Wi-Fi 6, it means that we can segment all the way out over the air interface. And that means that we can protect one segment from another. And this produces all sorts of, of new use cases. So I think there's a lot going on in the security domain as we get into Wi-Fi 6 and into 6 gigahertz. So more spectrum equals more APs equals scheduled throughput with better security. All of that just because we have this new chunk of spectrum and we can make new rules. What, what else comes with 6 gigahertz that we haven't talked about? What else comes with 6 gigahertz? Well, you know, it was interesting because I think that there were some comments earlier, well, wasn't 5G also going into 6 gigahertz? And, I, you know, I think sometimes uh, there's a lot of folks out there that would look at that as a bit competitive or are we stomping on each other? Um, I would actually uh, put out a premise that would say that that's not the case. Um, as we open up more spectrum and we apply certain stacks to, um, from a business standpoint, meet the requirement of that particular venue or an implementation, what we see is that usually there's multiple use cases in a particular area. And the fact that we can use Wi-Fi 6 and we can use 5G um, in their strengths, and in fact the overlap allows us to move between them in, in such a way as to produce the best experience wherever you are, I think becomes very important. So more spectrum is good. Um, being able to solve more business problems is good. Being able to do it in a more deterministic way, all good. Um, and so again, it's, it's going to open up the doors to whole new types of capabilities. In fact, Mary didn't get into some of the details when we talk about power. But, um, you know, we talked a little bit about indoor versus outdoor, but, you know, you have this very low power part of the specification. You have low power, you have standard power, and that talks about the rules around how you use um, Wi-Fi or other stacks within this 6 gigahertz spectrum. But it's kind of cool because you could do a very low power type thing. We think about it as, talk, you know, communicating between your phone and your watch, for example, but, you know, it's not going to be too long before we're communicating be between our phone and our AR glasses, right? And as we walk around, we'll see overlays of maps giving us directions overlaid right on what we can see. We, we meet people, and it'll bring up their names. So wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to remember people's names? You know? <laughs> I know that's always one of my... I was going to say, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah. But, but well, anyway, or, you know, so all these new things start to come to fruition. And that, it, look, it, you know, because we've opened up this spectrum, we can really start to see some of these uh, things become available. It's going to be a different world in just a few years. And, and so I think it also, it also gives the industry a path forward for innovation. So, I mean, the world isn't going to end with Wi-Fi 6, right? There's going to be a 7 and eventually an 8 or whatever. Uh, and this provides that platform, right? If if spectrum is the oxygen that these radio systems breathe, it gives us a lot uh, of room for growth. Well, so that's a that's a good point as far as radios and and <clears throat> spectrum support and all that. Today, we have in clients we have one radio that supports multiple spectrums, right? We don't have two Wi-Fi adapters in our laptop; we have one. 
The infrastructure side, though, is different, right? We have a number of radios, and those radios are one radio per frequency. Do we expect to see that carry forward, or are we going to see these radios that'll do either 5 gigahertz or 6 gigahertz? What's it going to look like on the client versus the infrastructure side, or do we know yet? If you're talking about way out futures, if you're talking about things like Wi-Fi 7, um, the answer is that the the devices are going to become more intelligent and they'll be able to connect and actually communicate to multiple APs at the same time. Now think about that, right? I think someone brought up earlier that uh, as, as we're trying to improve our delay characteristic, you also want to improve the delay characteristic while you're moving. And so if you're walking down a hall and you're moving AP to AP, um, you have to hand off that session. And we've done all sorts of protocols in order to improve that, like 11, um, R, K, and B, um, understanding who your neighbors are, understanding where you want to hand off to, passing state as you move AP to AP. But think about as we go into some of this next generation and you're connected to multiple APs at the same time, that means the handoff can happen almost transparently and almost with no delay. So we're, we're working real hard to improve the reliability and deterministic capability of Wi-Fi. It's only going to get better as we go forward because now we can start to do this one-to-many connectivity um, to produce that better environment. So what, when do you think we might start seeing a Wi-Fi 6E access points and devices? So devices is key. I, th I think you're, you're, the second one is, is as important as it is to Cisco to make sure that we're on the forefront and that we're developing these things. And um, although I, you know, I have to be a little bit careful about telling you what we already have in our back, uh, back labs and our testing. But, um, but yeah, I, can't... I don't want to have to like get the snipers out. No road map, buddy. Okay. <laughs> no, he's talking about the mind control. The studio, so, uh, I'll let you talk. Yeah, that's on. right. That's right. But it's, it's very important that, look, this technology becomes more usable as more and more devices start going into this technology. Um, every time we've, we've gone to a next generation technology, we've seen the adoption uh, happen faster than the previous one, which I think is good. That means that there's a lot of demand for this, right? But at the same time, um, we know that it takes two to three years before you start getting a large segment of the device community connecting into these next generation uh, capabilities. It'll start with Apple and Samsung and the others coming out with their flagship devices, and then it'll move down into their cheaper devices. It'll start going into their industrial. It'll start going into medical on medical equipment. And all of those things take a, a, a little bit of time. So the networks will be um, capable before the masses of the, of the devices that are out there. But as usual, you know, Cisco will look to uh, lead the charge on that. And that means that you'll have APs that will talk, guess what? They'll talk 2.4, they'll talk 5, and they'll talk 6. And you'll be able to connect all these things together. And you'll be able to do it in a way that uh, allows you to manage the resource. So, so the device, we're thinking about the good two to three years before we start seeing the devices hitting the market with us. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to take that long, actually. Uh, the the high-end devices, I'm, I'm thinking that we're going to start um, seeing things in, in 6 gigahertz um, easily within a year. Um, but again, you know, I'm talking about mass adoption, getting up over 50% device adoption. That's going to take a, a lot longer. Some of the device manufacturers have indicated they'll have something out uh, by the Christmas shopping season. But again, it takes a long time to penetrate the market, as big a market as this one is, 
uh, it takes a lot of shoppers making that purchase decision. So that's what takes the time. We'll start to see the devices toward the end of the year, 2021, more devices. And then it just takes a while for all of that to cycle in and be, uh, be out there in a meaningful way. All right, do our uh, champions have any further questions before we wrap up? I'm good. I'm good Shy, as well. I'll assume you're shaking your head. All right, so Mary, I got a really potentially embarrassingly dumb question. Um, <laughs> dumb for me and embarrassing for me, not for you, obviously. So a lot of this we've been talking about the FCC. It's a U.S. org, <laughs> but you do you do lobbying globally. How is this, I mean, how does this get rolled out rest of the world? Yeah, great question. Possibly too broad of a question. No, <laughs> no, not at all. So historically with, um, with new radio systems or big changes to radio systems, what happens is the U.S. will take a leadership role and the European Union will take a leadership role. And it turns out that depending on which country you are in the world, you either point your regulations to follow Europe or you point your regulations to follow the US. So if you're in the Americas region, you tend to follow what the US FCC is doing quite closely. If you're in the Middle East, say, you tend to look to what is Europe done. If you're in India, you tend to look at what Europe's done. So right now we have uh, another proceeding under European Commission rules moving forward. This one is for 500 megahertz in the lower part of the six gigahertz band. They wanted to start with the lower part of the band um, and that should be uh, concluding by the end of the year. So we will have in 2020, both the FCC and European rules um, adopted, which will be great. We are already seeing tremendous interest from many other countries uh, around the globe. Uh, we've had inquiries from the Middle East. We have South Korea potentially moving this summer, um, Brazil, Canada, Mexico, others. Um, so uh, we're going to start to see other jurisdictions take up the six gigahertz question this year and next. Does that end up bifurcating what some of the device makers end up doing, making for like different regions or? Um, or did I just ask a very confusing No, no, no. Question. For the client device manufacturers, it doesn't matter that much, right? Because they're going to okay. be associating with the, with the access point under national rules. For the access point folks, um, you would typically, and Matt, you correct me if I'm wrong here, you would typically build your device um, and then control the frequencies that it operates on using software these days. So that if, let's say, the European Union came back and did the upper part of the band, that would be a software upgrade. That would look like a software upgrade for us. But if you're a client, you just build a global client. Well, it, cool. and so I guess that's actually a really fantastic question because that's part of the problem we have in five gigahertz today is that we have radios that will do it, but those radios require revalidation by the regulatory body. Therefore, we end up, as Lauren said, with this bifurcated group of clients that do won't do 2E because they don't want to go back through the recertification process. So you're saying that that's going to be a problem in the EU, but not here in the States. Um, it, it potentially could be a problem, but I, I really think it's not going to be a problem for the clients. I think the problem we had in five was we had 
a portion of the spectrum where we had to share with governmental radars. And in order to share with them, we had to use a technology called dynamic frequency selection. And it turned out that DFS was um, expensive from a rate. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was, it, you know, actually uh, Cisco mastered DFS pretty well, but it was expensive from a radio resource perspective. Some people might argue it was expensive from a cost perspective as well, but at least from a radio resource perspective, it burned radio resource because you had to be listening for these, for these radars. And at the consumer grade level, um, what we found is, is consumer devices and consumer manufacturers really had no interest in this, um, whether it was a client device or an access point. And that is what's, what's led to the problem that you identify in the five gigahertz band is this unique requirement for governmental radars. Well, we don't have that in six. Uh, we don't have that at all. Gotcha. So I think you're going to be able to see global clients uh, built uh, uh, in the band and the access points um, uh, uh, will be, their frequency will be controlled by whatever the software is and whatever approvals they get in country. And hopefully we'll be able to come back and convince Europe to go the full 1200 at some point. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And I would, I would say that, um, you know, just from a, from a client perspective, they actually have in some ways an easier job because if you're a client going into the network, you're told what spectrum to use by the APs that you're connecting to. Now what Mary's referring to uh, is that, you know, many of us know that you can take a client, you can set it up as a little AP, right? You know, little, little MiFi device. And, Typically, the when you do that, this, the software and those clients, they, they don't make it sophisticated enough to deal with things like DFS or some of these more sophisticated scheduling type capabilities. And so more and more, that's going to be the responsibility of the, uh, of the network and not the client. So clients, you know, they're going to be pretty flexible and they'll be able to work anywhere. Um, APs will probably have SKUs, you know, relative to their country that defines, you know, the, the hardware and the, um, the software that can be legally used in that particular country. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I've enjoyed this. I hope you all did, too. Um, thank you to Mary and Matt and to our Cisco Champion hosts, Sam and Shai. And for those of you listening from home, Feel free to go ask lots of questions in the notes or wherever it is you're downloading your podcast from. And see y'all next week. Thank, Thank you, Lauren. You. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks. Thank you, Lauren.